Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to this new episode of the FEPS Talk. My name is Anja Skrzypek. I'm Director for Research and Training for the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And it's my privilege to have the man that everyone wants to talk to these days in Brussels, the groundbreaker when it comes to the discussion about teleworking, rights of people in this time of crucial changes when it comes to the labor market, Alex Agus-Saliba, member of the European Parliament from S&D Group, uh, member of the Committee on Internal Market and Consumers Protections and Petition, member of the Employment Committee, but also on the special subcommittee of uh, on artificial intelligence in digital age, and the author of two very important own initiative reports. So great to have you with us. Thanks, Sonia, and thanks to FEPS for uh, organizing also this, this talk today. So as I said, you know, media is full about what happened last week, how tense the debate was. But could you take a step back? Uh, because, you know, uh, how did it come? It's your own initiative report. How did it come to stand, actually? Where did so the idea that, that's, arrive? That's a, very, that's a very good question, indeed. Um, I think that there are many out there who think and have the impression that we started working on the right to disconnect during the pandemic. No, I started lobbying to have this right to disconnect as a priority for our political family, for the SND family on day one when I was elected here in the European Parliament, because this was also an electoral pledge that I had campaigned for pre-being elected as a member of the European Parliament. Uh, we managed to make this as a priority for the SND family. We managed to convince the AMPIL committee to make it also a priority for the AMPIL Employment and Social Affairs Committee within the European Parliament. And from there, we lobbied hard to have not only an own, an own initiative report, but a legislative one, which is not that common because our aim from day one was to have an annex, a fully fledged, fully developed legislation, which is part of this initiative. We managed to do that. It was not easy at all to reach technical and political compromise uh, within the ample committee. There were a lot of divisions, and I can also say that uh, in the beginning, we were in a big minority when it comes to having this right to disconnect both in the ample and also in the plenary of the European Parliament before last week's final vote in the plenary. But uh, we managed to uh, convince, we managed to, I think, also the, the pandemic and the realities that this pandemic has brought for our workforce, which are not going to be felt only today, but the shift will continue to be felt in the coming years and months. I think they all helped to give more visibility to the importance of not adopting the culture of always being connected, not adopting the Japanese karoshi culture where work until you die. That's not European culture, and that, that does not bode well to Europeans' workers' fundamental rights. And therefore, this initiative continued to develop uh, until today, we reached this, this very important stage whereby we have a very clear majority, I must say. We didn't only, which was a very difficult target for us to reach qualified majority, because since this is a legislative initiative, it didn't require only simple majority, but qualified majority. Therefore, we wanted to get a lot of cross-party support for it, but we managed to surpass uh, that number by more than 100 votes. So 472 votes in favor of this initiative is a very, very strong signal for the Commission to act today and not tomorrow on the right to disconnect. 
Well, a big congratulations, because as you said, coming from a very minority position to such a solid support and the ground of the European Parliament. But before we uh, come to the content of the report and what the rights to disconnect actually entails in the way the report has been drafted, um, I would like to ask a bit about the kitchen of the process, because, uh, you know, um, there are coverages that are saying that while Social Democrats and Greens have been quite united, or Social Democrats very united, as you said, uh, about uh, the idea. The other groups have been totally divided, um, that there was also geographical division, and that it became a battlefield between the employers' organizations and the trade unions. So, you know, if you could share some of the spices, I think that our audience would love to hear more about it. This was a very complex, complex thing. Uh, You you said that I was also um, taking care and leading the DSA debate in the European Parliament. I can also reveal with you today, Anya, the pressure and the difficulty on reaching compromise on the right to disconnect was much, much, much more difficult than reaching compromise on the DSA in a report in the internal market. So we started our debate with two divergent ideas. So SND, who uh, uh, and the Greens were always united on the right to disconnect on the main points which were red lines for all of us. There were divisions, and this was also reflective in the Renew group. So they started pushing, uh, not for the right to disconnect, but to have an annex basically on the on teleworking, which for us was a no-go zone because ultimately we couldn't and we would be making a big disservice to EU workers if we restrict the right to disconnect only to teleworkers. This is a fundamental right and this should be enjoyed by each and every worker, but we managed to, um, at least at technical and political level, we managed to get renew with us, although in the end, in the plenary, there were 40 members, around 40 members of renew who voted against us. EPP uh, were against having uh, a directive in the annex and against other important elements in the report. They abstained, except for two members in Ampel committee, but we managed to get them with us in the final vote in Ampel. And if we didn't get EPP with us at that stage, the report uh, would definitely not have been approved for it. So for us, it was really important not to have EPP against us because of this qualified majority requirement. Um, ECR, ID, they were always against from day one. So to achieve the majority and to achieve the qualified majority threshold, we had to work hard to convince and also to keep this equilibrium, uh, this equilibrium of safeguarding against all odds that this report would be approved because this would have sent a very dangerous signal to the commission, basically not to act. And the commission was clear if this report would not have been approved, it wouldn't have acted in this legislature. And also to do everything possible to safeguard the fully developed legislation. There were a lot of attempts, not only from political groups, there was also a letter and telephone calls being made to practically all MEPs from Business Europe and from members in different member states who were lobbying hard with their MEPs to vote down the whole report down. But ultimately, um, we managed to keep our political family united, keep GUE united, uh, get EPP also with us, who were also stick to a large extent also behind our report. So ultimately, we ended up um, with this vote. But the message is clear. It's not subject to any kind and sort of interpretations. The commission now should act today 
and not tomorrow, and there are no messages out there, both in the resolution, but also in the directive, which are restricting or tying the hands of the commission to act, to make the right to disconnect a real tangible right as soon as possible. Now, because you've mentioned all these different oppositions, I think for a bystander uh, who lives in the times of pandemic and you said, uh, you know, this report and the concern comes from uh, right before, so it's much older than the pandemic and the lockdowns themselves, one could wonder, how can you be against that? I mean, uh, you know, you have whole populations affected by it. Uh, um, people are desperate. It yeah. seems like, because you said like, Right. It is not about now. It's about setting the benchmark for the future. And let's move a bit, therefore, to the content of uh, of the report, uh, because it seems that, you know, I don't want to use the uh, very typical for social democratic narrative, um, but perhaps this is a new benchmark of the fight with new kind of digital capitalism that you are trying to sort of uh, stand at the forefront on. Yes, because this is also a, a very interesting point. It is not that there was pressure or there was lobbying against the right to disconnect as a concept. So as a concept, all political groups were saying that we agree, and even Business Europe was saying that we agree with the right to disconnect. But the easy way out for me as reporter was to push only for an idea, for a commission recommendation, for a commission communication to ultimately end up with a council conclusion on the importance of implementing this right to disconnect. But ultimately, not giving the legislative means for workers to be able to enforce this right. Because what is the biggest hurdle that we have? The right to disconnect is not defined in our legislation. It's not defined under the working time directive because the working time directive stops until working time and doesn't go beyond that. And it's not defined by work-life balance legislation and occupational health and safety legislation at EU level. So first of all, we wanted to define this right. And that's what we did in the in the legislation. But also, moving forward, the minimum requirements by legislation, and that's where the point of contention was, and that's where the opposition was, to have a legislation which is basically tying the hands of employers. Tying the hands of employers not by reducing flexibility, not by basically um, not accepting the different real realities of different workplaces, because the element of flexibility is really important. It, it, it is not possible to impose a one-size-fits-all right to disconnect for each and every workplace. That would defeat the purpose and it would be difficult to implement. But ultimately, what did we do in the legislation? We moved forward the number of minimum requirements, such as stating and giving the right of information, for example, for workers on the recording of working time, defining what and how a worker can connect and disconnect. That's really important. Um, when it comes to derogations, when and how derogations could apply in extreme and very, very, very limited cases. And if derogations are applied, compensation have, has to be given, which is non-existent uh, until today, and also impact assessments on the physical and mental health of employees uh, should be undertaken when derogations are um, accepted. Apart from that, we are also, for the first time, giving the workers tools against victimization if they use the right to disconnect, because ultimately, if the right to disconnect is there, but employees are afraid to vouch this right because they feel that they can lose their job, they feel that they can be discriminated, they will lose a promotion uh, in the years to come, they won't uh, enforce this right. They will continue with this culture of continuing to be productive, even after their minimum requirements uh, of rest periods 
the 48 and the 11 hours. So it's, it, it was really important for us to give a tool to employ, employees to enforce this right, protect them from victimization, and also introducing important concepts and very strong concepts such as the reversal of the burden of proof when there are indications and clear indications that the employee um, was discriminated against because he used this right. So there, the employer has to justify and not the employee has to justify that discrimination had not been undertaken because of the use of the right to disconnect. So for us, it's a very progressive, very socially oriented piece of legislation, which definitely can and should give more protection to our workers and define and make the line clearer between working time and rest time. That's a fundamental right, a fundamental concept that we have to protect. I think it's quite clear that it's incredibly principle-oriented battle for empowerment of the workers in this very striking times, but also beyond them. Uh, You've mentioned the question of culture, and I want to stop on that for a moment, uh, because evidently, of course, uh, uh, before the uh, report uh, came to be writing, when you were uh, asking for the report, it was probably about 6% of the Europeans who were working from home. Now it's almost uh, 40%, and in some countries, of course, it varies. The countries have very different traditions, also depending on uh, the legislation, on the culture of uh, of the labor market. But this cultural aspect is something I would like to go slightly deeper, because you've mentioned, okay, the burden of proof is now with the uh, employer. But in this era when we are all connected, we are WhatsApping, MS Teaming, and so on and so forth, it can be perceived that if you are not connected, you are not ambitious. You talked about stigmatization. So how can we change that? And the second question that uh, since uh, you know you are extremely active on all the issues connected with artificial intelligence, digitalization, digital services. Um, now we are talking to one another from each other's households. Uh, the uh, uh, audience cannot see that, but we see each other. Where is the right to privacy uh, in this context? So those two questions, if I could uh, tease you uh, here, I would be very grateful. So, yes, when it comes to culture, I think that's a very important thing because the right to disconnect, our right to disconnect is not only being infringed by employers, but it's also becoming a cultural thing, a cultural thing where employees to feel that they are more active, that they are more productive, they continue to work outside their working time, sending emails, using their devices, but that's the most dangerous aspect of this one. Uh, But also, when they send emails and copy their colleagues, they are directly infringing the right to disconnect of their colleagues, who then feel obliged to be as productive as their colleagues and continue working even outside, outside their working time. So this is a cultural thing, and there should be, and this is also mentioned and, and it's given a very predominant role in our in our resolution whereby we are moving forward also the idea of in-work training of giving more visibility to the negative side effects that overwork and this ever connectedness and this digital obesity can have on workers the negative impact on their work-life balance their mental health we are seeing statistics which are very alarming in europe we are seeing statistics that of our citizens, and the large majority of that being work-related, but 38% of our citizens every year, they are facing issues, problems, hurdles when it comes to their mental health. And the large majority of these problems are related to depression, um, are related to uh, burnouts, 
are related to people feeling secluded. So this, this, this culture is already there and it's already leaving its negative impact. With regards to, I missed your second question. Your the second question, question of question privacy. Was, privacy. Of privacy, yes. Again, um, we are also dealing with the issues of technology, for example, being used for uh, workers working from their home, smart workers, which is raising a lot of, a lot of questions. Uh, it's where today we have the GDPR and all these these rights which are being enshrined under EU law and given all this uh, predominance in the discussions that we had both in the DSA and the DMA, transparency, privacy, these buzzwords are everywhere. But then we are having situations, especially during the pandemic, when employers for the first time are testing out the system. And especially in some member states, I can bring an example of my member state, Malta. Teleworking was existing only in a small fraction of the uh, public employment sector. In private employment, it was practically inexistent in Malta. So for the first time, and I had many discussions with different employers, they were saying, okay, we tried and tested the system, it's working, less commuting times, we are using less resources in our offices, and we are trusting, and then employees are being more productive when they are working from home. So now the system is tried and tested. That, that's why we are saying that there will be a shift in the coming years, because now for the first time we had the opportunity which came on us without preempted of it. So the system is tested. But the situation is that invasive technologies, tracking technologies, for example, I, I heard the case a couple of weeks ago, whereby devices are being installed on laptops, whereby if the employee is not touching and is not using his device for more than 20 minutes, a message will be sent to his employer on the location. There are instances whereby even the camera will be switched on without the employee even knowing what, what is going on and also sending private information such as the location of the employee. These are all situations which are infringing the basic privacy rights of our of our employees. Therefore, we have to do something about that. We have mentioned these instances and the importance of acting against such tracking of our employees, employees and such infringement of basic rights in our proposal, but this should be tackled head-on when, and that's why it's really important also to have an overhaul of the teleworking directive. So it's really important to cater for these situations that are happening in front of our eyes, which are leaving our employees unprotected. So uh, since, uh, you know, the battle isn't over, there's been major success. Uh, the public is all on the issue, you know, raising awareness, uh, absolutely spot on. But you said yourself uh, at the opening statement, now it's the time for the commission to act. So just, uh, you know, uh, for everyone listening, what do you think can we expect in the weeks to come? What difficulties and in which way we should be acting as United Progressive Family to make sure that we are not only at the forefront of this incredibly important battle, but that the battle can be won. Yes, uh, I think that now the ball is in the Commission's court. So first of all, we were very clear that the Commission should start and has to start um, discussions with social partners as soon as possible. So um, the Commission should kickstart um, this, this process with social partners so that this fully developed legislation is discussed and the next step for the Commission will be also that of presenting it formally for discussions also then at, at, at council level. So now the ball is in the commission's court. We have to continue to push the conservative elements and those elements who 
uh, want to oppose this right of, at face value. They say that they are in favor of it, and this is the biggest issue, but they don't want legislation. They want to keep everything as is. Ultimately, the right to rest time, the right to daily and weekly rest time has been there, not since we were started talking about the right to this one. But this is a fundamental right, which our fathers, our forefathers have so hardly fought at national and EU level. So these are fundamental rights. Rest periods are fundamental rights for our workers. But in the new digital realities that we are living, they are not protected. They are not defined. They are not protected in the way that technologies have so hardly impacted our lives. So it's really important that we step up the game. It's really important that we update our legislation with the new realities, new challenges, which may affect negatively these uh, fundamental rights of rest time, weekly and daily rest time and holidays for, for our employees. Thank you so very much. Uh, Alex Agusaliba, member of the European Parliament, the author and the initiator of the most fundamental question, how to preserve the rights of employees in this very hard times, how to preserve a right to disconnect and to rest, and how to enrich a new culture uh, where all the employees are appreciated for their efforts and not fringed whilst they are trying to balance well between the private and professional lives. Lots of struggles still in front of you. Count on us. We will be there whenever and however you need us. We find it's fundamental principle battles and we wish you all the best of our luck. And we do hope that the commission is going to up promptly for the sake of everyone staying now at home and suffering from all these various dangers that you've mentioned. Because in fact, it's not only the question of productivity, it's not a question of individuals, but it's our common social Europe that is in fact at stake. Thank you so Thanks, very much. Sonia. Thanks, Feps. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FebsTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.